This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Scott from California. When I'm not hiking at national parks, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy Monday, everybody. We're getting ready for tonight's MTV Music Awards here in the basement. Can't wait to see how long it takes Kanye to jump on stage. But we've also got a great show right here for you. Because coming down to the basement to talk about managing your money during big transitions in your life, we welcome to the show certified financial planner, Dory Fain. Plus, in the headlines, one insurance company is jacking up rates on a popular product, and other companies are lining up to follow. Will your premiums rise? But that's not all. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Dave from Tennessee, who wonders about playing the credit card reward points game. Is it worth it? We'll also answer letters from Constance and Dr. J. And still leave time for my MTV-themed trivia. And now, two guys who are up for the most likely to host a podcast from Texarkana, Texas Award. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And the winner is Devin Carroll from the Big Retirement Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hey, welcome to another week on the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know who's who. And across that card table from me, looking a little rugged today. You need to shave, dude. The one and only OG. This is what they call the five o'clock shadow, isn't it? Only it's 5 a.m. shadow. <laughs> right. And I look like I've been up all night. Like have you been up? Have scotch you been? <laughs> and cigars. <laughs> this is my walk of shame look. <laughs> When I have to walk down from the upstairs because I had to sleep on the couch last night. Yeah, not good. Not, so not a good night at the OG house. I violated one of my own rules, which was never go to bed angry. And I wasn't angry. Oh. I was just upset. Well, and But I slept like a baby. You woke up every two hours crying. But I'm up. <laughs> he still got it. Maybe if you applied a little honey to oh. that relationship. Thanks to Honey for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Honey is the free browser add-on that over 9 million people are using every day to save money when they shop online. It's free. takes just two clicks to install. Save you a ton of money. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash SB. This is awesome, by the way, because I was talking about this with Mrs. OG again, and she goes, I already have that. I've had it. It's awesome. I use it every time I shop online, dummy. This is not news. I'm like, oh, well, excuse me. You're like, hey, we got this great thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was great before. Yeah. It's still great. Use it all the time. The other thing is great is when you find out all the stuff going on in the basement and our thoughts on different areas of financial planning. You know how you get all that, OG? From the stacker, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker to get on our email list, whether it's for the tour this fall, we're coming to Orlando, Kansas City, and Detroit. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker to get all the details and to keep up with stuff that uh, we just don't have enough time to talk about on the show or go into any depth on the show because we're too busy. OG talking to Dory Fain today, certified financial planner works with people in transition. We're going to talk about those times in your life when you're coping with a lot of stuff. And that, as you know, is when people make money mistakes. She's upstairs talking to mom right now, but first you and I've got some headlines. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. I know we've talked about this first headline issue a lot lately, but at the risk of 
talking about it again. This is the biggest headline I saw for today's show. This is ugly. This comes to us from Investment News. It was written by Greg Iacurchi. Genworth raises long-term care insurance cost an average of, wait for it. 46%. 58%. 58% increase in long-term care insurance Thanks costs. for letting me know what kind of phone calls I'm going to be getting in the next uh, six months. Seriously, I used to think that self-insuring was so dumb. And the way that prices have gone up the last seven or eight years, it, it becomes harder and harder to keep up with the insurance. It, it, is, it is difficult. And this is a huge issue. And well, let's read the piece and then you and I can sort this out. Genworth Financial received approval from state regulators this year to raise costs an average of 58% on some long-term care insurance policies, affecting tens of millions of dollars worth of annual insurance premiums the company receives from consumers. The approvals, which other insurers are also pursuing, of course, to, mm-hmm. off- yeah, to offset adverse trends in the long-term care industry, come as companies such as Prudential Financial, Unum Group, and CNO Financial Group announced financial setbacks related to their long-term care business. Thomas McInerney, president and CEO of Genworth, which is the largest LTC insurer by number of policyholders covered, said the company received approvals from 22 state filings in the second quarter. The approvals, which sought rate increases as part of Genworth's, quote, long-term care insurance rate action plan, impact $160 million of enforced premiums. Mr. McInerney said during the company's quarterly earnings presentation, affected consumers will see an average weighted cost increase of 58%. Such price increases become a common fate for LTC policyholders and their financial advisors. Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company, for example, this year requested premium hikes of about 77% affecting roughly 54,000 or three quarters of its LTC policyholders. Genworth had already raised costs on 72 million of enforced premiums in the first quarter this year. According to company figures, that follows an average 28% cost increase in full year 2017, which affected 7 or 14 million in premiums and a 28% hike in 2016 that encompassed 719 million. CFO Kelly Grow told investors that rates are actuarially justified and will continue to be a focus of ours to help mitigate margin pressure. I think we need to focus, and the reason I kept reading is I wanted to focus on that last quote, OG, they are actuarially justified. While people are going to scream, these insurance companies are ripping me off, the actuaries say, well, if you want us to actually pay a claim and stay in business, we got to jack up the rate. Yeah. This is a real big challenge, of course, with this type of insurance in particular, because it's the double-edged sword. If you're a policyholder, you need them to stay in business because you need it to be covered when it's your turn. It's the or, whole point. You know, and so to do that, they're saying, hey, we've got to charge more premiums. If there's any comfort in any of this, it's the fact that this has to get approved through state insurance boards. Insurance companies just can't randomly say, yeah, everybody that lives in Texarkana, you know, that's over the age of 50, let's change their premiums by 30% this year. They have to go to the insurance agencies in that state and prove why they need that increase. And it has to be, to your point, actuarially sound. So it has to... um, you know, be ambivalent as it relates to types of policies or people or whatever. So you're not getting singled out. If you get the letter from Genworth and it feels like you're getting singled out, you're not. It goes back to this general rule of insurance that most people don't think about, which is generally speaking, when it comes to insurance policies, the types that are the most expensive are the ones that you want to consider the most. The ones that are the cheapest are the ones that you probably want to stay from. And it's because of this idea of actuarially sound, right? The idea that the reason they're more expensive is because actuaries think it's going to happen to you. Said very simplistically, it's just probability and magnitude. So what are the chances of it happening to you? And if it does happen, how big of a check does the insurance company have to write? I mean, you can kind of get it. You know, if you think about if there's two partners and they're 65 years old, we know that statistically one of them is going to live to be 95 if they're in good health, right, presently. We also know that one of them 
will need some assisted care. And now we always conjure up when we say assisted care, we think, oh, you know, in the nursing home, you know, somebody spoon feed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. It could be somebody coming to your house every three days just to check on you, make sure you took your medicine. So assisted care is different levels, but if one out of two people need assisted care, and we know that the average care cost is $80,000 a year, and we know that the average amount is two and a half years, <laughs> we just multiply that out and go, well, the premium's got to be astronomical, which is true. And so when it comes to deciding how to cover this on your own, you have to decide where is the break point? Like how much of this do I want to cover and how much of it do I want to transfer to a third party? And maybe that's I've covered all and transfer none or I want to cover none and transfer all. Probably the right answer is somewhere in the middle. It is an ugly risk and you have to have a strategy. Whether you go with insurance or not, you have to have a strategy around this because when insurance companies are jacking up rates, this threat on every retirement is real. It is a very real, it is a real present danger. How about that? I I just clear. It's a clear and present danger. There you go. Yes. Our second headline comes to us. Thank you, Mr. Ryan. From Napa-Net. I don't know what you're talking about. I just coined that. Dr. Ryan, sorry. Doctor, yes. Uh, Napa-Net, the National Association of Plan Advisors, the people that handle retirement plans, pensions, 401ks. This is one I found that's back in the day. Uh, two different people pointed to this piece. And so I went back and grabbed it. This is from 2015. Three pervasive. Oh, so relatively new yeah, article. Yeah, this is okay. a new headline, brand new. We are up on the cutting edge stuff here at Stacking Benjamin's headquarters. Three pervasive retirement industry myths. But since 2015, these haven't changed. And it's funny to see bloggers today going back and pointing at this piece. P says, ours is a complex and complicated business that is people working with individuals on their retirement, constantly changing and evolving. And yet there are key fallacies about today's retirement system and how it compares with what used to be that will not go away. So you ready to go through these three? Bring it. Number one, back in the good old days, being covered by a pension plan meant you would actually get a full pension benefit. We are routinely told that once upon a time, individuals used to work for a single employer their entire career, and that most of those workers were covered by a workplace retirement plan, frequently a defined benefit pension. While defined benefit pensions were certainly more common a generation ago, they were not as ubiquitous as is often assumed. Moreover, while some workers did spend their working career at a single employer, and some still do, particularly in the public sector, The data shows that for the very most part, we have long been a nation of relatively short tenured workers. How short? Well, the median job tenure in the United States, how long workers stay at one job, has hovered around five years for the past three decades. So this idea of you work for the man, only work for one company, had a pension, (laughs) retired Not true. Not true. But they were more common. Pensions were more common. Sure. But people working for one person for a long period of time. About the same as today. But this idea, this idea of transitory work, I feel like we still haven't embraced it. Do you? We still haven't embraced the fact that that our work is portable and we we kind of have to be about brand you. Don't get me wrong, you need to be a team player, and it's better for your brand if you are a team player. But really, if you're not working on your resume and you're not focusing on opportunities that help you improve your skill set for the future, you atrophy quickly. One of the common conversations in the financial independence world is about cutting your expenses. But what we're talking about here is working on increasing your income, increasing your skill set so that your value to organizations, whether it's your own, if you're self-employed or your value to other organizations continues to go up. So you can work on that side of the income statement as well. It's just interesting when you play a board game or a video game, the whole game revolves around, well, you need these new skills so that you can work faster and more efficiently. And yet, Mm. to to, to your point, we don't think in terms of that, hey, I need to level up my skill in writing. I think writing is a huge skill for anybody. (laughs) Or I need to level up my skill in, in in whatever it is my professional designation might entail. When my kids were playing Xbox a year ago, my middle child wrote on a, they have a little whiteboard in their little Xbox room, you know, that they can draw on and stuff. And he wrote, 
XP is life. And basically, he just figured out. I think he's right. Experience points is life. Yes. He is... uh, he figured out the meaning of life. Continually be upgrading your skills. Upgrade oh. your character. Get oh. better better swords. So the better shields. Yeah, so the lesson is have your kids play Xbox more and they'll know more about life. There you go. That's bingo. The second Fortnite. The, the second myth, only half of American workers have access to a workplace retirement plan. The piece says, speaking of coverage, this is one of those statements that, while technically accurate, is somewhat misleading. Applied to all workers, that's what the National Compensation Survey conducted by the U.S. Department of Labor's Bureau of Labor Statistics indicates. But it includes all workers, include very young, very low-income, part-time, and part-year workers. If you focus on full-time, full-year wage and salary workers, 24 to 64, an analysis by the Employee Benefit Research Institute noted that in 2013, two-thirds of those workers, workers who might reasonably be expected to be covered by a voluntary workplace retirement plan or current law, did in fact work for an employer that sponsored a plan. It's two-thirds have a plan, not one-half. Hmm. Okay. But, but that number still is low. I mean, still there's a third of the employers out there that are looking at their workforce going, yeah, I don't think I'm going to give them a retirement plan. Which is pretty annoying, by the way. Not only is it annoying, that's another reason to upgrade your skills to find a real employer. And I know that that's going to (laughs) enrage some people that might have a business that are listening that have full-time people. But it's so inexpensive. You can't use cost as a reason not to do it. You can't use time or energy as a reason not to do it. I mean, there's tons of retirement-type plans that you can put in place that are pretty low-cost and low-lift to allow your employees the opportunity to save for their own retirement. I was reading before we started this morning, Tim Ferriss's book, Tribe of Mentors. I just opened it up. Is that mine? No, I just opened it up. Well, I gave someone mine and I don't. You you gave Kathleen yours. Oh, Kathleen. Okay. Yes. Hey, Kathleen. Hope you're enjoying my book. (laughs) So (laughs) to be fair, she said, do you want it back? I said, no. (laughs) I opened it up to a random page and it was talking about Tom Peters, and I love management guru Tom Peters, and he was, he was talking about two things, but the one that applies to this particular discussion was to live your life efficiently and moving forward at a fast pace is fine and everybody should do that, but to live with dignity and grace toward other people is- Transcendent. Transcendent. It's a, it's a much better place to be. And I think when you don't treat your workforce with that dignity and that respect by not giving them- uh, easy path toward helping them retire. I think that's a mistake. I think it's a calculated mistake, no matter what the price might be. Mm. Think of it as overall compensation, part of somebody's overall compensation. Yeah, just cut their pay by five percent and tell them, "Hey, great go. deal for I'm you. Do- I've got a retirement plan. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing you a favor." <laughs> I know this is going to sound bad, but <laughs> but wait, wait for it. Wait for it's the like end. I was watching Nemo in the car today, and Marlon says to Dory. It's because I like you that I don't want to be with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's because I care about you is why I reduced your pay by 5%. And the other piece, which I'll mention just because it was powerful, he mentioned that he talks about excellence all the time. And people think that excellence is this grandiose idea that you spend a lifetime building toward. He said, no, it isn't. It's not that at all. Be excellent in the next five minutes. Make the next five minutes rock. Forget long-term. It's about execution right now. It's excellent. I think Aristotle had an interesting quote about excellence one time. Aristotle? Yeah. Who's that guy? Hey, you, never heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're talking about Tom Peters. Way, ah. way more, uh, more uh, popular than Aristotle. Mm-hmm. And what's your Aristotle quote? No, oh, I don't remember it. I just remember that he had something <laughs> about it. <laughs> you wanted the actual quote? What do I look like? I know it. I'm just, I don't want to be a show off. So I think the lesson is... Don't ask OG to share philosophical quotes. <laughs> right. Don't be too embarrassed. On, on a, a podcast, podcast where everybody's like, leaning in toward their device to hear it. Yeah. and you're, What is it? What did Aristotle say about excellence? The two big ones, long-term care, again in the news, insurances in general. When it comes to your plan, look at the prices of insurance when deciding which ones need to be covered and which ones don't. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to buy insurance, but those are the primary issues to look at. And then second, using rules of thumb or preconceived ideas about retirement or your plan, maybe best to look at the actual numbers. 
Hey Siri, uh, what was the Aristotle quote on excellence? Fain upstairs talking to mom. She's the founder and CEO of And Wealth, a boutique financial advisory firm expressly created for a select group of women managing major life events in their own newfound finances for the very first time. In recent years, And Wealth has evolved to become a premier resource for women navigating the complexities of divorce. She's a third generation investment advisor. Dory spent 12 years at Smith Barney, where she became the youngest woman ever hired into their training program. Much as she loved the rigors of investment management, a big brokerage firm she knew clients deserved more and dove into financial planning, which is the foundation of investment management. You've seen her lately all over the airwaves, including Bloomberg and CNBC. She's a board certified, certified financial planner and a proud graduate of, oh boy, the Ohio State University. I think we're going to start off by talking to her about that. Oh, gee, who let Dory through? No, here she comes down to the basement, Dory Fain. And coming down to the stairs to the basement, Dory Fain, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Joe? Well, I was fine until we were just, OG and I, going over your bio, and you went to The Ohio State University. That I did. How did you slip by our producers? (laughs) (laughs) Ohio State grads are very resourceful. (laughs) They are are very resourceful. And my sister went to Ohio State, so I I can't be too mean. As a Spartan, I can't be too mean. But- Wow. Let's the healthy l- Big Ten rivalry. Absolutely. So let's chat about you because you help people that come to you during a time of transition and not just a transition financially, but a transition usually emotionally. To put this in perspective, Dory, can you maybe tell us a story about what that means so our listeners know exactly what we're talking about? Absolutely. So the driver behind the work that we do has more to do with life transitions that impact financial changes, emotional changes, family changes. So a typical example would be a couple that came to us recently named Allison and George, and we've changed the names to protect the uh, the innocent. (laughs) (laughs) But Allison and George are a fairly typical example of two professionals who married in their mid to late 30s Allison's a doctor and George is a lawyer. They're very busy professionals. And based on the fact that they were married in their mid to late 30s, they felt an urgency to have children. So they ended up with three children in four years. Fast forward 10 years later, they've been so busy raising their kids and keeping all the moving parts going that ultimately over time, they realized that their marriage isn't working. And for all of the years of their marriage, Allison and George's paychecks were deposited into a joint account that George used to pay the bills. And he would also use any excess to invest with his investment advisor. Allison really had no idea where the money was going. She knew that she was in good hands with George taking care of the finances. She's managing a lot of other things to keep the household going. But as Time goes on and they begin the divorce process. Allison really has no idea where any of their money is. She's faced with trying to gather information to begin this process. And George has all the access to the information. All the investment accounts are in his individual name only, which she didn't realize. And so when it came time to try to access those relationships, even the accountant, the investment advisor, the lawyer, those were all George's relationships. So it really left Allison at a significant disadvantage. And we actually see this is a fairly common event that happens. Yeah. Not to underplay George's grief probably too, but she's got to mm-hmm. feel lost. I mean, just like, I don't even know the passwords to my accounts that are supposedly half mine. <laughs> exactly. And while George is certainly experiencing his own set of emotions, there is a real disadvantage to the party that doesn't have access to information. So you couple all the emotions that go with getting divorced, but the pure fear of not knowing how much money you have, how much it costs to take care of your household, 
Who do you even ask? That's a significant disadvantage that adds to the complexity of everything else going on. Let's back up first, Dory, to maybe some prevention and tips to maybe prevent getting to that step where the divorce is <laughs> is, is imminent. You talked about getting married maybe a little later in life and feeling like, hey, the biological clock is ticking, so we have to have kids now. Cheryl and I had twins at once, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Those early years, both co-parenting, were some of the hardest years of our marriage. How do you get through that intact? What are some tips that we can kind of take to, to do better? Yeah, I think it is a universal experience. Even in the healthiest of marriages that last well into the future, everyone is just overwhelmed with the pure responsibility of parenting and keeping life going. It's not to say that we're going to change the dynamic of how people operate within marriages. It's still fairly typical that there's a division of labor. And through that division of labor, if the husband's handling the finances, that's fairly typical. But there are some basic things that can be done to help prevent this type of situation happening in the future. Simply have, whether it's a document, whether it's, there's great websites that keep track of all of your important information, but simply having a list of who do I call, where are the important documents, what are the passwords, have a general idea of what you spend annually. And that information is pretty accessible through annual reports just from your credit card spending or from your bank accounts. And then simply a list of where is the money. And, and that all goes together. So there's great resources. They're free websites that keep track of passwords that you just have to be disciplined about keeping that updated. And actually, one of the, the single most important password that's critical, and this affects people almost more importantly when someone dies is email passwords because any account that gets reset by password goes to your personal email. And in the very common event that happens is that the wife is left to try to figure all this out and the email resets to her, her deceased husband's email. She doesn't have that password and then you really can't access those accounts. I'm thinking Cheryl and I use a password manager where all exactly. of our passwords are in one place. It makes it so much easier there. That's right. It seems to me though, when I was a financial planner back in the old days, you know, yes. horse and buggy days, they, <laughs> uh, communication was kind of like it is now. I always, not always, I often felt like one person, like in this scenario that you, that you gave us, that one member of the family kind of knows where everything is happening financially. And the other person operates in a place that I think of as fantasy land. Everything's okay. Life is great. And then when the wheels come off the bus, that's when the fights start. Yeah, I think it's true. There's just a natural, again, there's a natural dynamic in division of labor. There's also still today the way that we're raising boys and girls about expectations of who's going to be in charge of what types of things. And it, it, it can come in all forms. Sometimes husbands are trying to drag their wives along to these meetings. Sometimes the wives are dying to attend and the husbands don't want them to. So these dynamics are complex. I do feel a duty as the advisor though, to recognize that dynamic and still make sure that at least I know where everything is. So if God forbid something happened, I could help either one of them. And we have clients today, had clients for over 20, you know, close to 20 years that I only still really talk to one or the other, but we've made it a priority that at least I have access to the information or know how to tell them where to go to get the information that they would need. So there are, there are ways to accommodate that natural dynamic that happens. But are you thinking like maybe a, like a weekly money meeting or priorities meeting or something would, would help? I mean, isn't that wishful thinking? Don't we all <laughs> say like, it's going to be like, okay, it's like me saying on Sunday, I'm going to cook all my meals for the week. And one week I do it and the next week we're getting takeout. I think there needs to be a more reliable, realistic system. Look, our kids' lives are busy. Everybody's so busy. So you want to make sure that there's a fail safe, that it just at least the basic information is available. While yes, that's a goal to work toward, it's, you want to make sure you have a, a backup. It is interesting though, to your point, with, I, I would often deal with one of the two people in a couple, but I always tried to have both of them come to the meeting specifically because, especially when you're busy parenting, it's the one time you're in a room with the door closed with a third party and you're talking about your goals, you're talking about your life from 30,000 feet. And it's, I don't know. I kind of felt like, and this this might sound strange, 
but I felt like there were some couples, Dory, that were going home to have some really good sex that night. <laughs> like it, you could just you know, feel the communion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that would be the best outcome, right? That right. we bring people together over this totally mundane topic and they leave feeling stronger than ever. And the reality is as advisors that we have the flexibility to really get to know people. So while both spouses, it may not be realistic that they attend every single review meeting, I'll reach out to the other and say, hey, I know you couldn't make that meeting. What if we grab lunch one day? It's about that connection and that relationship. So even if the husband and wife aren't communicating about the nitty gritty about the finances, it's the connection, I think, to the advisor that helps bridge that. And so there's lots of ways to make that connection. The other side of it is to your point, often when you do get people together in a room and you start talking about how things are set up, the other spouse that has been less engaged all of a sudden speaks up and says, that's not at all what I thought was going to happen, or that's not at all what I want to happen. And then it sparks really health, like healthy conversation. Yeah. I could tell a lot of the time that people were going to go home and have maybe stop for dinner and have this great conversation afterwards. Absolutely. Let's, unfortunately though, Dory, when you meet people, they're already in this time of transition. It's beyond hope. It's beyond you being able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So, yeah. so for that spouse that doesn't know where things are, where do you begin? Yeah. And it's a very common occurrence. So what people often misunderstand about the family law process is that when one spouse has access to all the information and they're not cooperative and willing to share it, unfortunately, that process of gathering information has to be compelled through the court system. And it's completely avoidable. And so what we find is that we end up having to go through lawyers and having our clients pay lawyers to request documentation that I always say, why don't we just try to get together and ask for this? Why don't we just say, you know, reasonably speaking, couldn't we get together? And they'll say, oh, no, he's impossible. He's not going to give up any information. And I say, well, why don't we just ask him first? Why don't you let me ask him first rather than a lawyer asking him? Unfortunately, what ends up happening in these really tense, high conflict, high emotional cases is that lawyers end up spending time and money trying to get access to the information that's needed. Ideally, though, and in many of our cases where they're more collaborative and people are much more uh, of cooler minds to say, you know, here's, the, here's all the information you need to help figure this out. The laws are really there to guide how division is going to go. So, you know, people will say, well, she's not going to take all my money. And like, the laws are there to prevent anyone from really being completely taken advantage of. And so there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings about how that process goes. Yeah. What's the biggest myth that you see? I would say the biggest myth is no one's getting all of anyone's money. The way I describe it is that, and I'm going to talk in traditional genders because the work that we do, we typically represent women who are the financially dependent spouse or the spouse that doesn't have access to the information. So the way I would typically describe it is that if he can't afford to pay it and she can't afford to live on it, then it's not going to work. So nobody ends up meaning if, if, if we're asking for a husband who's been the high earner to pay to support a lifestyle that ends up leaving him unable to take care of himself financially and all the things that he'll be responsible for, it doesn't work. If he's offering something that simply our clients cannot afford to live on and it leaves him at a great advantage financially, then that doesn't work. And if the kids can't be taken care of, then none of it works. So there is an equity and a fairness that has to come into play, ultimately, that everyone's going to be okay on the other end. Nobody's better off financially, obviously. It takes time to recover, but it can't be the significant disadvantage to either party. I want to transition to something that's been in the news lately, just based on what you just said, is the Brad and Angelina divorce. Half of our listeners leaning into their device, the other half rolling their eyes as we talk <laughs> about this. But one story we talked about on our Money in the Morning podcast was that $1.3 million is the amount that apparently Brad is giving Angelina to help take care of their children. And Angelina says, that's not enough. And part of me says, you can't live on $1.3 million. The other part says, I don't know anything about their lifestyle. So I don't know what $1.3 million is buying. Have you been following this case? It's hard not to follow these headlines because these are such extreme circumstances. The first thing I'll say is that what I've learned through our work at Ann Wealth is that we really need to come to this work from a place of neutral. It's not our place to judge how people live. And while the numbers affecting 
celebrities seem outrageous to us. The reality is that they do have six children and the cost of the way that they live is is exponential to the way that you and I are raising our kids. So to come to this place without judgment. Um, however, whenever I see public disputes like this, it's representative of what we see pretty universally in areas where marriages aren't working. If someone needs a public fight like this, it means that they're not ready to really for this to be over. Because clearly, Angelina has enough personal resources to take care of what her kids need. And I'm sure they came to some private settlement or they had some prenuptial agreement. Hopefully they were adequately represented. The other part of it is the general concept that parents have a financial duty to take care of their kids. And certainly one parent should not bear that responsibility alone. What he's really doing versus what you're hearing in the news, we, we absolutely don't know. These are tough situations to really come in and judge. The other part of it is that if we really keep our children at the heart of these disputes and at the heart of these separations, we'll tend to be guided by our hearts and minds for what's best for our kids. When you see very public displays like this, it's really not best for our kids. And you have to think about what else is going on. Is there anger, mental illness, addiction? Uh, one person was really hurt and this is their way to get, and there's more going on. It's not really about the money is it, what I would say. Yeah, and it may be a combination of all those things that you're talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And we just really don't know what's going on. Just like we don't know what's going on in our next door neighbor's home. It's the same idea. So these really public cases, the most unfortunate piece is that the kids really get hurt the most. I want to talk about the other side of this, which is the kids are older. They're taking care now of parents. How, how important is this idea of intergenerational planning that we've seen a lot in the news maybe the last eight, nine years? It is critical. So many people are faced with taking care of themselves, their own close families, and then aging parents. And so a good example is I, I met with a woman recently named um, Terry who is in her early 50s, and I was really impressed by her. She's had a, a phenomenal career in the corporate world. She's one of four kids, and she's the only single person of her siblings. And she decided and took it upon herself that she would be the one that had to live near her aging parents and take care of them. And so as a result, she lives in a very remote area. She travels every week for work for her career, and she's managing these caregivers that take care of her parents. And come to find out that one of the caregivers, the, the, the main caregiver, when she goes to the grocery store to buy food for her parents is also buying food for her family every single time she goes to the grocery store. But here's the rub. Her parents love this woman. They otherwise trust this woman who is actually sort of stealing from them, but they are so dependent upon the care that she gives that it's this very conflicted situation. And there are all kinds of examples of how caregivers can take advantage of these situations. So one of the most critical things all of us are going to face at some point, whether we're counseling a friend or, or taking care of our own aging parents, how to make sure that you align with resources that are really vetted and credible so that we can make sure that everybody's safe and sound. But what do we do? Well, there's all kinds of regulations. There's all kinds of reputable agencies out there. I mean, even in our local community, um, there's a number of these agencies. But if you really do some digging, you can see who's had complaints filed, what's the turnover of their staff, what's the longevity, what kind of due diligence do they do on their caretakers, are they on their caregivers, are they doing background checks, do they have to be legal to work here? You want to look at tenure with the agency. There's a huge amount of turnover and caregiving. And so if anyone is able to retain their employees over a long period of time, that's critical. And then you want to know, for me, I think you want to know the involvement of the owner of that business. So in the event that an issue happens, you want to make sure they're partner partnering with you to manage that employee. So there's things that you can do to really vet who you're hiring and who's helping you. I'm thinking about just asking one or two of those questions is more than probably 90% of people do. I mean, I remember when I was a financial planner, the lack of questions people had for me that I thought, wow, you should ask me. <laughs> I mean, I'm a credible guy who had a good track record. I was doing things in my client's best interest. And yet people would ask almost no questions. 
They would just, they'd buy my dog and pony show and go, (laughs) you know what, Joe, you're hired. That's a good example though. Most likely, Joe, they found you through someone else that they know and trust who had worked with you, or they knew you from your media presence. They felt they knew you in some way already. And the reality is that we're meeting people eye to eye and we're saying, do I get a good gut feeling about them? However, when you really ask even probably many of our own clients to say, well, what do they really do? Tough to say. And that's okay. I I can reconcile that if I've been vetted through a reference and someone's had working experience with me, I think we would use that same type of approach with a caregiver coming into our home. You know, not now we're not expected to be experts in the subject matter, but we have to have at least some way to vet people. Yeah, definitely. Still, I think some of those background checks, I mean, and not to scare people, but critical. But, but, Look, it's not an easy job. Who, yeah. you know, you think about the quality of the, the heart someone has to have to sign up to be a caregiver. There's not a big hurdle to become one. So you want to make sure that there's at least some way to check who's coming into your, into your family's lives. So back to Terry's story, we know that the caregiver's stealing. We worry about the fact that you're in a remote area and it's going to be hard to get somebody else. How does Terry handle this? So ultimately what Terry and her siblings decided is that they sat down with the caregiver rather than accuse her of stealing. They had a conversation to say, what's going on at home? What's happening that you're using our parents' credit card to buy your groceries? And what that revealed is that they were barely able to put food on their table for their family. And they actually came to a a decision together that they would compensate her more and that she would no longer be doing anything like that without permission first. And that ended up working. Wow. Sometimes you want to get to the heart of it. Now, if people are just outright criminally minded, you're not going to get to that conclusion, but that was not the case with this particular caregiver. Sounds like a great ending to bad situation for everybody. Yeah, Yeah. it really was. Dory, where do people find you? People can find us at andwealth.com. Awesome. And you have a full team of people that work with your clients, but it, it looks like a very team approach from the outside looking in. Exactly. So we, we've been able to build a collection of people with different areas of expertise to help support our clients through the various planning needs that they have. We have some people listening, because we get questions about this all the time, who want to be you. So one last question how did you get started thinking about transition planning? Not your whole career. We talked about that at the beginning of the interview while you were upstairs talking to mom. But when did you decide that this niche was for you? I grew to understand that there was a general lack of expertise, particularly for women. Although in our work, we've come to see that this isn't an issue, really a gender issue, that men and women are are looking for a more consultative approach especially in times of life transition. And there's so many, as you know, Joe, there's so many advisors out there who say they do a lot of things and it all kind of sounds the same. So I knew to really be able to set ourselves apart that I wanted to have a real specialization. And I saw that there was an opportunity to add a lot of value in the marketplace in this particular area of specializing. Well, and it certainly seems like you're slightly passionate about it too, which I think also <laughs> Just a little bit. helps your success. <laughs> Dory Fain, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. This has been so great to be here. Thanks so much. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And wow, what a special day here. Not only did Dory Fain just give an award-winning performance, but tonight's the MTV Music Awards. That means we're going to spotlight that on today's trivia segment. Here goes. Which artist has won the most MTV Music Awards? I'll be back with the answer and some M&Ms to go with my popcorn in just a moment. OG, when you shop online, do you turn into a tab hoarder? loading dozens and dozens of new tabs in your browser in search of a promo code, just one that might save you a couple bucks. And then Chrome crashes and <laughs> yes. Afraid to close any of them and fear missing out on a deal? Well, before OG crashes his browser yet again, try Honey. Honey's the free browser add-on Mrs. OG uses and over 9 million people are using every day to save money while they shop online. In two clicks, you can add Honey to any browser for free. Then you just go about shopping like you normally do. Honey scans and tests millions of coupons in the background. At checkout, Honey automatically applies the best coupon. Time Magazine calls Honey basically free money, and we couldn't agree more. 
Over 9 million people use honey every day, and together they've saved millions of dollars. And it's interesting, ever since I installed honey, it seems like every time I shop online, bam, here's a code, Joe, just in my face. No reason not to add honey to your browser today. It's free, takes just two clicks to install, and that's going to save you tons of money. So to make sure that honey knows that we sent you, as mom says, get honey for free at joinhoney.com slash SB. That's two words, joinhoney.com slash SB. I used to think it was one word, honey.com. It's not. It's joinhoney.com slash SB. Start saving with honey today. Joinhoney.com slash SB. We are also excited on this show to talk about The Stacker, our newsletter that's meant to, speaking of save you money, meant to help you with your financial planning, give you tips along the road toward whatever goals you're working on. We cover everything from your cash reserve emergency fund to insurance planning, retirement, etc. And we also share details of all the stuff going down in the basement, which right now, as you know, OG, we've got a big tour. We're excited. Today, we can tell you our special guest in Orlando, Florida, is going to be Michelle Schroeder-Gardner. Michelle had tons of debt just out of college and has gone from that to earning well over $100,000 a month with her (sighs) Making Sense of Sense blog. And the way she does it's also interesting. She lived in a travel trailer with her husband and now they bought a sailboat and they sail from port to port and she works on her business and just loves what she does. We're going to talk about the transition from somebody who owed the man a bunch of money to somebody who paid off a bunch of debt. But that's not all, of course, because we're on the road. We've got Doug with us. Might have a call from mom. Our friend Chris Costello from Bloom is going to be our special co-host. We are going to have a band consisting of three well-known bloggers and podcasters. Andrew Wang from Inspired Money on the Guitar. Harlan Landis plays just about every instrument out there. He is, of course, Mr. Plutus Awards. And if you want to know a great podcast back in the day, Consumerism Commentary. If you go back, it's still available in Apple Podcasts. Go back and listen to old episodes of Consumerism Commentary. And Miranda Marquitt's going to play the tambourine. Miranda, a co-host on uh, the Money Tree Investing Podcast. Chris Browning will also have his Popcorn Finance Podcast before our show. So you get two, two podcasts for the price of one. The people at TIA are going to talk about a difference maker in the community. Josh Elledge will be there from Savings Angel. Who else, OG? Uh, we're going to have... Wendy and Eric Nissan from DIY.fund there. Paula Pant will be helping us answer listener questions. It's a celebrity-filled extravaganza. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour. And on a future show, we'll share with you more about what's going on there. But to keep up with all the updates, especially if you miss a show from time to time, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker signs you up for our email. Always free. Always interesting. Mom loves hers, but it's also easy to unsubscribe whenever you whenever you'd like. Hey there, trivia fans. Good news and bad news. Bad news first. Joe's mom says all the gremlins came in and ate the M&M's. Sounds pretty sketchy to me, lady. While I've heard there are gremlins over in the woods a few blocks away, why would they take my M&M's? I'll get to the bottom of that later. But for now, let's dive into your trivia answer. The question was this. Which artist has won more MTV Music Awards than any other? The answer? While Madonna has won a ton of awards, she's only finished second in this competition to... Beyonce, who's won 24 before tonight. See ya! Thanks again to Dory Fain for stopping by the basement. You know, G, for somebody that went to Ohio State, she's she is it remarkably together. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll give her a pass. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And this idea of managing money during transitions, and especially the fact that so many couples now get married and they feel like they're in a rush to have kids, you end up co-parenting and not talking. And that communication is so important. Super important to be on the same page with everything, money, parenting styles, all that stuff. 
Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, OG. Big 10 football and uh, premiums of long-term care that actually stay the flat for year over year. That's what I would value the most right now. That'd be... Too much to ask? Well, you know how they have those Christmas in July sales? Yeah. People start crying. Oh. Oprah on her show. And you get... You get a long-term care increase and you get a long-term <laughs> care increase. <laughs> It's actually your loved ones in your time, but I get where you're going. It's why Haven Life has created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. But of course, you might forget by the end of the show. So just pause us. That's why you have a pause button. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. We got a call from our new friend, Dave from Tennessee. Say hi, Dave. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Dave from Tennessee. First time caller, long time listener. I talk a lot about guys in their basement, but I love what you two guys do down there. Okay, here's a serious question. Several years ago, I swore off credit cards after I plum messed up some real estate transactions. And I became gazelle intense on paying those suckers off. But now, I'm looking at all these darned award programs they're offering... Southwest Airlines will carry another passenger for free? You gotta be freaking kidding me. Who thinks up this shit? And I said to the missus, How are we not doing this? I want to ask some of my friends. My daughter's pretty smart. And my buddy Chris, he's alright. But if they thought for a second I was even considering this after what I told listener, uh, other friends, I'm pretty sure they'd hogtie me. Thanks, guys. Good to hear from our new friend, Dave. So these credit card reward points, OG, he's worried about those. Um, that can be a dangerous game. Oh, it can be real slippery, especially if you get them and stack them immediately. Because sometimes the people call it an app spree where you go, you oh, mean? I want that offer. I want that offer. I want oh. that offer. And then you go, oh, crap. It says I have to spend $5,000 in three months on each one of these things. Now I'm going to go buy some stuff I can't afford. Yeah, credit card reward point games, let's be clear, they only offer them because so many people get in trouble, I think, getting them. Yeah. If you pay $1 of interest, you've mucked the whole thing up. Like it stopped working, the math. It only works if you don't pay any interest to the banks because the interest rate is so much higher. I mean, even the best credit card at the best credit union is still 10% interest. Yeah. And so you're getting what, one or 2% rewards back. So under no circumstances, can you pay interest? And I think the other thing you want to do is have a little bit of a kind of an inventory plan. If you're going to go down this route, okay, we stay at Marriott's. So therefore it would be really dumb to get IHG. Uh, 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 yeah, a uh, Holiday Inn Express credit card, just because they're offering 10,000 bonus points, like you don't ever stay at a Holiday Inn. You always stay at Marriott's. So what is it going to do for you? And there's a ton of resources on there. I, I like the points guy because he kind of talks about a lot of this stuff. The only other thing that I would add if you're going to play this game is do some research before you jump in to find out what the historical high watermarks are on some of these things. I've had it happen to me where you look at something, you go, oh gosh, 50,000 airline miles. That's perfect. That'll, that'll buy me two airline tickets. And then you get the 50,000 thing, you get your points, you buy the airline tickets. And two weeks later, you get a letter in the mail because it crossed in the path and went, hey, you're eligible for 100,000 bonus miles. <laughs> if you sign, you're like, gosh, darn it. And all you had to do is just know that, you know, at 100,000, maybe that's the high watermark. Just wait for that offer to come out once a year or whatever it may be. And that's so, pretty widely available at places like the points guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can find that information just about anywhere. So if you're a frequent traveler, if you're planning a big trip, we're trying to, uh, in the OG family, trying to plan a really big trip for next summer. And I'm shy, let's just say a fair amount of airline miles. <laughs> so we're going to play the game a little, little bit here and see if we can't, uh, can't get this whole thing uh, covered. So if you're using it for a specific purpose, I like it. If you pay $1 of interest, you lose, do not pass go, delete all that stuff. But it's hard to argue with free airline tickets from Southwest. Yeah, but when the airline miles aren't free, I think start small, know your limits, 
establish your budget first. Like I think the airline reward miles are the leaf of the tree. Make sure that you've got the roots solid, which is a good budget. You know exactly where the money's coming from before you spend the money. Places like our friends, uh, Greg and Holly have the zero sum budgeting plan book. Our friend Mitchell Walker with the pouch plan where the money always goes in a pouch, almost like the envelopes. Any of these budget plans, YNAB, uh, use a tool like Tiller. If you don't have your budget in place, you're like, yeah, I think I can cover this big screen TV and I get 2% rewards. Could be ugly. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Dave. We also get letters down here in the basement. Doug just brought down the mail and our first note comes to us from Constance. Just a short note. Constance said, wanted to let you know how much I enjoy your podcast. It's one of the best I've come across. Very informative and entertaining. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Constance. Very nice. Thank you. Nice note from Constance. Second note here comes from Dr. J. He says, rollers. Dr. J sent us a note. (laughs) Dr. J. What should one take into account on whether to roll over a 457 plan to an IRA or leave it with a previous employer? Oh, a couple of different things. Uh, Firstly, the easiest thing to look at is investment options. So when you look at your investment lineup within your 457 plan, maybe you have really great options or maybe you have really bad options. That could be one of the deciding factors. One of the other things to consider with a 457 is the liability of the plan. Most 457s are not yours. They belong to the company. And so if the company goes under, there could be a chance that you don't get yours. Now, with 457s, generally they're hospitals and universities and, you know, that sort of stuff. So the government agency. So the likelihood of the hospital system collapsing is very, 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 very remote, I understand. But, you know, you should understand what the rules are. So I would say between those two things, generally speaking, it errs in the favor of rolling it over to the IRA. But, you know, you got to look at your own plan to see what the document says. What about early withdrawal issues? 59 and a half rule, like with an IRA? You're not going to have a penalty for that. But again, just like any other pre-tax plan, you'll pay income taxes on the distribution amount. So it doesn't make it a good or a bad place, but you have to be thinking about that in context with your overall you know, withdrawal strategy, your tax plan strategy. If you're going to retire before 59 and a half, though, you might want to leave enough money there in that plan, subject to what you said already, to make sure that you've got enough money pre-59 and a half, not having to jump through like SEPP or 72T. Well, that's the same thing. <laughs> SEPP <laughs> slash 72T uh, hoops, which are some big hoops for people to have to jump through, by the way. The other option, if you're retiring prior to 59 and a half, but over 55, is you can withdraw money from your plans for or your 401k plan without a penalty also. Yeah. Good stuff there. Thanks for the question, Dr. J. Thanks to Dr. J, Constance, and Dave. Of the three of them, by the way, Dave's the only one walking away with a t-shirt because he called the Haven Lifeline. So Dave, we're going to be sending that out to you. So how do you get a t-shirt also? Call the Haven Lifeline. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and you could be next in line for us to answer your question there. Actually, if you head to stackybedjamins.com and hit the questions tab, you'll see all the ways you can interface with us. And just a couple more things. If you're looking for good financial planning help in your corner, uh, you have until the end of October to get in the door with OG. Text the word stacker to 44222, and that will lead you down the rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) of working with OG. You said emails. You said it, not me. Absolutely. But that'll lead you to his calendar and lead you on the road to better financial success. And if you want more on our live show tour, all the details, these shows are action-packed. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour. We'd love to see you. Got an email today from somebody that said they couldn't find Mm -hmm. the tour details. There it is. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. Why don't you and OG get back to rehearsing your karaoke version of Wind Beneath My Wings, and I'll tell everybody what we should have learned today. First, managing money during a tough time in your life? Often, doing nothing is the right answer immediately following a traumatic time, but also, communication can be the key to your success. While you might not feel like talking, 
getting out your emotions can help you make fewer emotional mistakes. Second, reading lots of headlines about the average amount of money people have saved. Maybe it's better to stop reading those numbers and instead start reading up on your own financial plan. What everyone else does isn't going to help you in your own pursuit of your goals. But the big lesson? Don't believe Joe's mom when she says that the gremlin stole the M&Ms for tonight's party. That woman's got chocolate all over her mouth. Which actually means the gremlins must have made her eat them and then lie to me about it. Wow, those little guys are tricky. Big thanks to certified financial planner Dory Fain for joining us. You'll find more on Dory and her team at andwealth.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Big Al down across from the high school for hooking me up with a gremlin snatcher. It's amazing how much this thing looks like a selfie stick, and it was only 35 bucks. Email me if you need one. He'll hook you up. little behind the scenes baseball for you today, Joe. But before we get any further, if you're new to the after show, don't tell anybody. It's dessert if you have to say anything, but we're not interested in talking about it. So on occasion, and by on occasion, I mean several times a week, people will write in to me following that link or the texting thing that we do now. And so one of the pieces of that process is you write a little note. Like, so you write, you know, Joe, here's my email address. Here's my phone number. And it says question for OG. So if you go to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG, you know, that's how you go down that path. I kind of have a theory about the notes. So I get an email that says, hey, somebody asked to be in your calendar. And then we've got it set up automatically that you get a reply and that sort of thing. And so today I got a note and you can see on my phone, Joe, you can see, look at all that. Holy moly. When somebody writes an essay, they've got a lot of stuff going on. And when I see it on my phone, it's like the print is like 0.2 font. So I have to like blow it up, you know, to see what it says. But you can see, I mean, it, look how, I mean, there's just a ton of context here. So I'm thinking, holy cow, Kevin has a lot on his mind and I can't wait to talk to Kevin. And so as I'm driving down the road, Mrs. OG's driving, to be fair. So I'm riding down the road. I said, oh, hey, uh, Kevin wrote in. And uh, Kevin let me know, by the way, this would be the time in the show where little ears would want to go off. Gotcha. Not appropriate okay. for the family. Okay. There you've been warned. All right. So Kevin writes, sexual relationship is often pleasurable cooperation relationship with one's partner. If anything goes completely wrong in this give to get process, it is enough to derail the connection. Sometimes things happen, it's unpredictable. Moreover, able to keep proper sexual relationship means keeping oneself physically healthy. And I won't bore you with the 5,000 words that he wrote about that, but he can be reached at CialisResearch24.com. So I got my first bot. 
Oh, I thought you you were going to say you got your first box of Cialis <laughs> via your new friend Kevin. Kevin hooked me up. The bot got me finally. Finally, finally tracked down OG the artificial intelligence. Oh, congratulations! Is. That's a big moment in your career. I know. You don't know how important I am. <laughs> I have sex robots texting me now. <laughs> Do you? You probably want to seat me in the corner table. I know. Hello, uh, did you have a reservation? Reservation? Do you not know who I am? Kevin texts me every day about his Cialis research. About I sex relations, important, maybe, do. Yeah, exactly. I read it as best as I could how it was punctuated because there's like periods and random spots and that sort of thing. But I, I uh, anyway, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate the heads up on uh, your Cialis research. Hope it goes well. Obviously, it's leading to a PhD in... Uh, Research sciences somewhere. So good luck on your uh, doctoral program. Sounds like a long, fruitful career Kevin's going to have in that industry. As long yeah, as well, uh, he, yeah, might want to have a lesson in uh, basic vocabulary. He should know his audience a little bit better, though. So, I mean, <laughs> oh, of all the people who email about this stuff. <laughs> I mean, remember that? Uh, were you in Detroit with that councilman that had that video? No. When he goes, ain't no shame in my game. <laughs> That's... Now, you know what I'm talking about? It's all you. No. He was... Oh, okay. So this uh, council person, I think it was in Detroit, was texting, you know, inappropriate stuff to people and anyway. And so they called him on the news. They're like, hey, so uh, they have like these pictures, you know, of him standing in front of the mirror. Oh, oh boy. Blurred out, oh, you boy. know? And they're like, uh, what do you uh, what do you make of this? And he goes, ain't no shame in my game. <laughs> own it. Just, yes, I love it. Just own it. Yeah, forget that you're a total creep, but uh, oh. I can tell you work out. Anyway, <laughs> Kevin should know his audience. <laughs> ain't no shame out. in my game. <laughs> All right. Peace, everybody. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is... Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.